Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Oh, we're about to have fun this afternoon. Gonna have some fun. I was just about to ask Michael Borky, at this point, is the Southeastern Conference simply trolling us with regard to the announcement of the two additional teams that are going to be on everybody's football schedule? And then I saw from the SEC on Twitter, tune in alert, the two new SEC football non-divisional opponents for each school will be announced on SEC Network at 5 o'clock Central Time. So, Borky, regardless of what was planned for the college football fix, we have new content today for the college football fix. Yeah, I mean, talk about showmanship, right? Even though the 5 o'clock news dump on a Friday is not exactly PR 101, but good on the SEC for making sure they have two news cycles. We're going to have one this afternoon. That's talked about all weekend, and then at some point next week when they announce the days that these games are going to get played, an entire new news cycle. And for somebody that has to put content together for a sports show, I appreciate them very much for doing this for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, I have a question. Brian Haydad. Yes. When is the last time that you took a test? <laughs> Mm-hmm. 90, 2000, 2000 maybe? Okay, roughly 2000. <laughs> so for the first time in 20 years, Brian Haydad will be taking a test, and he will be doing it live on the radio with all of you. We will tell you why. We will have a bit of a build-up to Brian Haydad taking an oral test on the radio uh, coming up a little bit later this afternoon, and I promise hilarity is going to ensue. I hope, at least. I, I shouldn't say I promise. I can only hope that hilarity will ensue. First off, Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. Glad to have you along on this Friday afternoon as we roll into the weekend. PGA Championship is underway. We'll give you a look at the leaderboard coming up in just a minute. Hey, Dad, are you scratching your head? I, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out do I need to go buy some cliff notes or something. I don't know what's happening. Not that nope, kind of nope. test. Nope, cliff notes aren't going to help you on this one. Not going to help you. There's nothing you can do. It is all going to be about your cognitive reasoning abilities and a quick test of your memory. All right. Mm-hmm. What's going what to be time fun? is that happening? Uh, I'll get back to you on that. Okay. I haven't decided exactly. Maybe we we might just start with that coming up in uh, in just a little while. Uh, Ceasefire text line is open. 601-879-4395, that is the number. Bull. There's a lot of it in wireless, but C Spire thinks you deserve a plan that's actually what it says. Here's the real deal. The best plan for one or two lines, $45 each with auto pay and paperless billing. No bull. Cspire.com. Guys, what's up on a Friday? 
Man, suddenly in a really good mood. One, the show's going to be great because we're going to test Haydad, and that's going to be hilarious. We've got the SEC giving us two additional opponents for our 10-game schedule. That's awesome. The weather's fantastic. I can't go outside or do anything outside, but the weather's still great. I mean, it's a pretty good day. We've got golf on TV this weekend. We've got basketball on TV this weekend. We've got baseball on TV this weekend. Things are good right now. Knock on wood. Things are good. Hey, Dad, what are the plans for the weekend? Uh, Well, uh, my wife is actually out of town, so tonight it's uh, just Dad and the girls. And then tomorrow, my sister-in-law is picking up the girls, so it'll just be... Uh, my lonesome. So I have a, a 24-ounce ribeye sitting in the fridge oh. waiting for me to get to it on, a, on Saturday. Bone-in or no? Uh, just, just, just no bone-in. No. Just just all meat. Beautiful marbling? Oh, yes. Fantastic. What are you going to do to it? it? Anything so on it? Nah. Yeah, salt and pepper. And, okay. Uh, reverse sear it in the oven, put it in the cast iron, and eat it. You know, I, I, I went for the whole... Well, I kind of went the op- uh, the opposite way. I mean, the, the reverse sear is a way to do it. People will start it in a cast iron skillet and then put it in the oven to finish it off. Yeah. Wow. Last few times I've cooked steaks, I, I don't know if it's because, I don't know. I've just gone back to the grill. And there's nothing wrong with just a good grilled steak. Just period you're not, you're not on wrong. the grill. You're not wrong, but it's just me. I don't feel like firing up the charcoal and all that just for me. feels like something I should do with the families there. So just going to do it so, in the pan so, the old-fashioned way. What what are you going to do all by yourself tomorrow? Uh, nothing. I'll watch Chelsea uh, in the afternoon get eliminated from the Champions League. Other than that, i got nothing planned. Richard, you knew the answer to that question. And in fairness, if my quiet. wife ever goes out of town, I will make myself a steak, have some beers, and just, probably just, not just, put pants on. I mean, just, just stop talking for 30 seconds. Just, just, you hear that? Oh, so beautiful. Can't wait for it tomorrow. I can't imagine that. I mean, I get what I get what you're saying, and to each his own. But if, I mean, if I golfed or something, I would I would go play golf, but I don't. So, well, I, I guess that's kind of what I was getting at. If if my wife and kids bailed for the uh, weekend for for some reason, yeah, they were going somewhere or doing something, and yeah, I was just going to be home. Man, I'd be under normal circumstances. I might have gone to the casino, played some poker, but these are not normal circumstances. So, not not normal circumstances. Yeah, I. Um, Ooh, I don't know. I probably would go play golf. I don't know what else I'd do. Maybe work in the yard some. I don't know. All right, PGA Championship, 102nd edition, coming to you from Harding Park in San Francisco, California. If you had Hao uh, Tong Lee as your projected leader midway through the second round, you are a winner. He shoots a uh, five under par 65 on the heels of yesterday's three under 67. And Hal Tong Lee is your leader by two shots at the PGA over Tommy Fleetwood, who's gone 70 64. A six under par 64 today for uh, Tommy Fleetwood. Former Sanderson Farms champion Cameron Champ, what a day for him. Five under for the championship, six under on his round. He hits it a long way, in case you've forgotten. This is after shooting a 71 yesterday. He is tied for third with uh, Brendan Todd, 
who uh, is even on his round today after shooting a 5-under 65 yesterday. Paul Casey has put together another good round. He's 3-under after shooting 2-under par, a 68 yesterday. Those guys are late in their rounds. We are moving in the direction of a big group of guys that are in red numbers that will have afternoon start times, including Jason Day, who was the overnight leader, Martin Keimer. So Jason Day's at 5-under. Martin Keimer, Xander Shoffley, Bud Cauley, Zach Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Justin Rose, Brendan Steele, and Mike Lorenzo Vera, all at 4-under par and all getting ready to get their round started. Tiger Woods, who is 2-under, will uh, go off at 3.58. So about 45 minutes from right now, Tiger Woods, along with Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas, will get their second round started. Did you did you watch a bunch of it last night, Borky? Oh, I absolutely did. And a couple of things. Uh, first, remember what uh, Jim Gallagher said on Wednesday about this golf course and who it favors. No wonder Cam, Long hitters. No wonder Cam Champ is up there, because he said the Bombers are going to feast on this place. And uh, to your point, it sounds hey, you, you know what else Jim Gallagher did? He kind of poo-pooed my Tommy Fleetwood question. Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hao Tong Lee. So printed on his wedges. I'm not kidding. This is a real thing on his wedges. It says, Hao Tong is the most handsome man in China. <laughs> is he? I don't know. I, I've not really... Uh, you know, a billion men over there. Yeah. we got to judge them all? I mean, what are we doing here? But, yeah, that's printed on his wedges. So he's got a little bit of a sense of humor there, too. I like it. I uh, I certainly like it. Mike in Oxford says, uh, cooking a steak in an oven? Sacrilege? So they do it at some restaurants. Yeah, reverse sear, man. That's that's the way to go. Um, John in Oxford says, uh, last test was last night for a class for my post-doctorate degree. It's finals week. Got to get to next Friday. You guys remember what I'm talking about. Uh, no, I did not work on a doctorate, so I do not know exactly what you're talking about. We, I do we don't remember have a being excited. Anymore. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, I do remember ex- being excited about taking uh, the last test of my collegiate career. So that was, uh, that was a good plan. I got a journalism degree. I didn't have to cram for anything. Well, there were still some tests. There were some tests. The, the worst thing was was a, a thirty page uh, research paper that stunk. But most of it was was project type stuff. And so, if you enjoyed the work, it didn't feel like work. Like you had to do news packages, and I had to design a website, which graphic design is definitely not my passion. So that was miserable. But um, tests weren't re- like high pressure tests weren't really a thing in J school. It was more like you have this amount of time to do this project. So. All right, we're going to make some predictions when we come back. We are two hours, in, or sorry, an hour and 45 minutes from uh, getting the announcement of who the opposite division opponents are for all 14 teams in the SEC. When we come back, Brian Haydad, Michael Borky, and I will all make our predictions on who Ole Miss and Mississippi State's cross-divisional opponents will be. And then we'll see if we were right in an hour and a half. We'll do that coming up next. And then, um, let's see. Can we, yeah, yeah, 3.37. 3.37 will be test time for Brian Haydad right here on Sports Talk Mississippi. We will be right back. moving slow, and so am I. 
All right, so 5 o'clock Central Time on SEC Network, and maybe, depending on the logistics of it and kind of how it shakes out, maybe streaming right here on Super Talk Mississippi, we will have the announcement uh, from the Southeastern Conference as to who the two cross-divisional opponents are, uh, in addition to the eight games that are already scheduled for all of the SEC teams. That's all we're getting today. We're getting the announcement of the opponents. We're not getting the dates of the games uh, just yet, but we will uh, take what we get, uh, can get. And as Michael Borky said, yeah, why some people are like, just give us it all right now. Give us it all. Give it all to us right now is what I was trying to say. Um, from a content standpoint, maybe uh, it's kind of cool that uh, we'll get a little bit of a uh, little bit of it now and a little bit more of it next week. So let's make some predictions. Ole Miss and Mississippi State cross division opponents. Currently, Mississippi State has Kentucky as their permanent, and Missouri is the second opponent from the Eastern Division this year. Ole Miss has Vanderbilt as its permanent Eastern Division opponent, and their second opponent this year is the Florida Gators. Uh, Hey, Dad, why don't you go first? Who do you think Mississippi State's two additional cross-division opponents are going to be? So... I think that it's going to be South Carolina and Tennessee. Okay, you've been adamant about South Carolina. Yeah, if, if they're going with some sort of strength of schedule model, then playing the, the, the two teams that played that finished fifth in their divisions last year, that makes sense. That would but be it's South not strength Carolina. of schedule. It's competitive balance. That's what they – Well, that – I feel like those are, you know, the same okay. thing almost. Okay, potato, potato. So, yeah, and then so then it would be – if you looked at who finished fourth and sixth in the in the East – well, that's Kentucky and Missouri. Obviously, they're not. You know, those games are already on the schedule, so it's going up or going down. I feel pretty confident they're going to put Arkansas and Vanderbilt together. So that takes Vandy off of the uh, list for state. I think they'll. I think they will host Tennessee because they were in Knoxville last year, and they will go to South Carolina. Okay. Who do you think Ole Miss's cross division opponents will be? We'll go with the same sort of theory there. Uh, sixth place last year was Missouri, so I think Ole Miss, who was at Missouri last year will host Missouri this year. They already play Vanderbilt, uh, so go up one. Who, who did I just say was South Carolina? Could have could host South Carolina this year. Okay. So South Carolina could get both Mississippi schools. Well, they would have to go to South Carolina. Because you just said they were yeah, hosting you're Missouri. Right. Yeah, 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 correct, correct. All right, Borky. Two cross-division opponents for Ole Miss. What's your prediction? Uh, who are the two best teams in the SEC East, and they're going to both be on the road for some reason. Uh, I'm kidding. No, I, there are a lot of people in Knoxville, Tennessee land that are anticipating a, a Lane Kiffin matchup with Tennessee right out of the gate. And so, and that would make sense as far as standings and stuff like that. But uh, there's a lot of smoke up there in Knoxville that Tennessee's going to be playing Ole Miss. So that'll be one of my picks. And I think Missouri. I mean, geographically, it makes sense. As Haydad pointed out, they did play in Columbia last year. So having Missouri at home sending Ole Miss to Knoxville would make some sense. All right. Who do you think for Mississippi State? Georgia and Florida. Oh, come on. (laughs) Uh, No, hey, that's just really well thought out. For some reason, I'm with him. I think South Carolina's a given uh, based on standing in the division. And and if they're trying to achieve competitive balance, uh, I think that is a good place to start uh, is with South Carolina. And, um, yeah, Georgia, because it's the SEC. I do think if you're going for entertainment, you would put 
Kiffin and uh, Tennessee on the schedule, yep. and you'd probably give State another crack at Florida. Hey, you're done with your prediction? Yep. You're done with yours? If they're making – I know they're going to try to make the schedule, and they're going to move games around. It feels like since everybody else has done it. Maybe I'm crazy, but just logic would tell you if every other conference is moving around their important games just for logistical purposes that the SEC is going to try to do the same thing. So maybe that's the only place where they're coming from in making the schedule is logistics and trying to get a season in. But if they do have any kind of, hey, we've got a chance to freely make a schedule here. Let's throw a little bit of drama into these games. Sending Kiffin to Knoxville and sending Mississippi State to Florida or vice versa is a no-brainer. Both of you received no points because you extended your allotted time and you stole one of mine after you didn't pick it for yours. <laughs> My picks for Mississippi State, kind of going with the competitive balance, but not necessarily let's just try and match teams up that were in the middle on both sides. I took one side, one team from the top of the East and one team from the bottom of the East. I've got Mississippi State meeting Florida and Vanderbilt. I don't know which one will be at home and which one will be on the road. So you give Mississippi State... Dan Mullen, great storyline there. Would be the second time they've played against each other. And then Vanderbilt, kind of opposite end of the division of where Florida is picked. I don't have a whole lot of rhyme or reason on the Ole Miss thing. I, I really don't. Um, I've gone back and forth between Tennessee and Georgia as one of Ole Miss's opponents. Oof. Maybe it's... Uh, I hadn't been to Knoxville in a long time for a football game, so maybe it's wishful thinking to to say Tennessee or Georgia. I would say that Tennessee, while both of those games would be challenging, would be the more winnable of those two. Ole Miss has not played Georgia since, when was that, 20? I think it was Hugh Freeze's first year. No, no, it was was later. In Athens? It was in, in Athens, Athens, no, no, it was in Oxford. No, no, it was in Oxford. Oh, yeah, they that, smoked that Jacob Eason. That was 2016. Yeah, that's yeah. right. My sister got married that day. It was 238 degrees at kickoff and only warmed up <laughs> as the game went along. 11 a.m. kickoff, and it was as hot as any football game I've ever been to inside uh, Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. Not kidding. And, I was sitting in a bar that day because my, my sister was getting married, and I was sitting in a bar watching that game right next to the venue in downtown Greenville where she got married. And there was a very drunk, very mad Georgia fan in the fourth quarter of that game screaming to all of his buddies in the bar that they need to fire Kirby right now because you know Mark Richt would take that job back. <laughs> he uh, he might have been right on the Mark Richt part of things. But they didn't hire Kirby, and that turned out to probably be a pretty good decision. When yeah, it was it's all, worked out since then. Uh, when it was all said and done. So, yeah, what I wrote down for Ole Miss was Tennessee and Kentucky. And, again, I don't have just a ton of rationale as to why. But the more I think about it, the more I lean in the direction of Georgia and Kentucky. Which would, I mean, frankly, that'd be a pretty tough pretty tough ask to add those two. Because you know where Georgia is right now from a roster standpoint and the fact that they've been you know, either competing for an SEC championship or on the verge of a national championship over the uh, the last few years. But this may be the most, uh, I don't think it is, maybe. I, I think this is the most talented team that uh, Mark Stoops has had in Lexington. And so we'll see. I'll, uh, we'll be interested to see where that uh, that falls coming up a little bit later. If you want to give us your predictions, you're welcome to do so. 
601-879-4395. Tell us who you think Mississippi State and Ole Miss will be playing in their cross-division opponents. Uh, C Spire text line, what was the reasoning behind the SEC going to an all-conference schedule? Doesn't seem to make sense since they're giving up two home games, in some cases, to travel for games. I mean, it was all about controlling as many variables as you could possibly control in the COVID-19 world in which we're living. And did you see what's happening in Syracuse today? Syracuse players did not practice today. They they boycotted, air quotes, practice. Not because they didn't like Syracuse's uh, COVID-19 protocols. They said, we feel comfortable here with the testing and stuff, but we don't trust other people. And they specifically pointed out Liberty. Because Liberty's not only playing three AC, ACC schools, so they're going to have to play teams that played Liberty, but apparently the players are not comfortable playing somebody that doesn't have the same protocols as them. And if you've noticed, Liberty University... They don't have the same protocols. They don't have the same <laughs> protocols at all. Liberty's taken a, a real, you know, screw-it approach. And so Syracuse players are trying to draw awareness of the fact that we're not comfortable playing that game in particular or playing teams that have played them because their protocols aren't the same as ours. So, like, speaking of liberty, speaking of liberty, did you guys see the uh, Instagram photo from uh, Jerry Falwell on uh, kind of from a couple of days ago? With apparently not his wife? Uh,. No, not gotcha. apparently not his wife. That is his wife's assistant. Yeah. Well, apparently they were having a costume party on a yacht as part of their summer vacation. Sure. Do you think he'll replicate that Halloween costume this year? Hopefully with the, pa- pants, the pants button this time. Pants partially unzipped, shirt pulled up over his belly, holding a drink where he said, I promise it's only black water. Black water. That's a thing. Hey, hey, hey. Mike in Oxford points out that the Maryland quarterback opted out along with five others today. And in related news, Talia Tongavailoa was ruled immediately eligible as a transfer from Alabama to Maryland. Where, oh, by the way, Mike Loxley is the head coach who was the offensive coordinator at Alabama just a couple of years ago. You don't want to miss what's coming up next. We've got some audio to play for you. And then Brian Haydad takes a test on the radio. Is there any question that Brian Haydad is our Charles Barkley? (laughs) Terrible. Just terrible. Give me a Barkley impression, Haydad. That's terrible. That's just... It's just so terrible. I can't do Barkley. Barkley's not very good. That's uh, it's not a real good one. Well, uh, hopefully you can do better than Barkley. Last night on Inside the NBA, they were just having fun. Just having fun. Arnie Johnson, Kenny the Jet, Shaq, and Barkley. And they decided to, on the air, give Charles Barkley a cognitive reasoning test. It sounded like this. So, I'm, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you five words. Okay. You forgot them already. Catalog those in your brain. Okay. Then I'm going to ask you three questions, and then I'm going to ask you to repeat those five words. Okay. For me. Okay. Here are your five words, Chuck. Ready? Boston, shot clock, Denver, donut, Utah. Boston, shot clock, 
Denver, Jonah, Utah. Okay. All right. Question number one. Four NBA cities start with the letter M. What are they? Miami, Mm -hmm. Milwaukee, Minnesota. They got a blues down there. It's getting grisly here. Memphis. There you go. There you go. Here is here's question number two. Count these up in your head as we go. How many total Z's Z's are used in the following words? Pizza, zebra, wizards, pajamas, grizzlies. How many Z's? Two. No, stu- wait. No, all together. Oh. <laughs> all together. All together. Oh, oh. oh. Uh, Wizards doesn't have two Z's either. No, it has oh. one. Right. Uh, um, pajamas. That's no Z's in pajamas. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you got that. Anyway, there were six total in the list that I gave you. Here's question number. Uh, how stupid can you be? Here's question number three. Speaking of Z's, if you were to go to sleep tonight at three thirty in the morning. Uh huh. And sleep until one o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, that, that's how much sleep normal. did you get? That's he knows he does that every day. How many? How many? <laughs> that's how much a normal day. From from three thirty in the this, morning. This, whatever until, you do until, normally until one o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, seven. Uh, eight and a half hours. Eight and a half. Uh, nine and a half. Nine hours. Nine hours. Nine okay. Wow. Yeah, it's the same thing, man. Yeah. You do it every night. And, and now that you're Party awake, all night, now that you're awake, Chuck. What are the five words? Boston. Good. Shot clock. Good. Utah. Ooh, not out of order, but that's still a word. Uh, Come on, man. Come on. Man. Wait. Uh, Boston. Shot clock. Utah. Uh, you went out of order. That's what <laughs> <you're doing. laughs> you want me to tell you? What? Uh, no, don't tell him, Kenny. Wait, okay. Kenny, you better not. Did we say pizza? No! Pizza. That was one. That was one. That was in question number eight. You're missing a food. That was one. But it wasn't pizza. You're missing a bad food, but it wasn't pizza. Boston shot clock. You're missing a bad food. Not pizza. Utah. Hey. Pajamas. Pajamas. It's not pajamas, y'all. You trying to make a fool out of me. Well, no, you're doing a good job by yourself. You know, chicken. we don't need our help. No chicken. Yeah, chicken. <laughs> hey, Jeremy, quit telling me stuff and making me guess wrong. Boston and donuts. No, donuts. no, no yeah, Boston, yeah. Boston, Boston, Shot Clock, Denver, Denver Donut. Donut. I forgot the hell you donuts. Get donuts. All right. Yeah, I even All right. All right, so that was last night on Inside the NBA. We know without a shadow of a doubt, he's not as funny, but Brian Haydad is smarter than Charles Barkley. Smarter than Charles Barkley. And so, the questions might be just a touch harder, but we're going to go with the same format. Great. Hey, Dad, are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. You have no pen in your hand, do you? I'm watching it. Okay. Not going to cheat. Not going to cheat. I'm going to give you five words. I want you to catalog them in your brain. I will then ask you three questions, and after we finish the three questions, I want you to be able to uh, say the five words to me once again. All right. Borky, we don't have any music we can put under this, do we? No, but I do have a sound effect to go with the correct answer. Okay. Your five words, Brian Haydad. By the way, play along at home if, uh, if, you would, uh, if you would like. Your five words are Nashville, Mattress, Chicken, Barry Bonds, Hockey. Again, your five words are Nashville, Mattress, 
chicken Barry Bonds hockey. In the following words, total, how many S's are there? You can count them up in your head as we go. Mississippi, spaghetti, lasagna, Massachusetts, Chicago. Ten. Chicago spelled with a C. Well, how many is it? Nine? Mississippi has four. Right. Spaghetti has one. Right. Lasagna has one. Right. No, you're right. You nailed it. I shorted you one on Massachusetts. You nailed it. I wrote down three for Massachusetts. Didn't even check myself. You nailed it, hey, Dad. Well done. You are one for one. Ding, ding, ding. You got my, ding, Gorky? sound effect. <laughs> I was just All so right. taken aback by the fact that the test giver didn't know the answer to the question. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes you got to check your key. Well done. Well done. Um, as the crow flies, the distance between Starkville and Oxford is 75 miles. If a crow embarked on a trip and he went, in which he went from Starkville to Oxford to Starkville to Oxford, how many miles would the crow fly? 75, 75 is 150. 225? 225. He is two for two. The last one is hard. Name the states. With two or more Major League Baseball teams, there are eight of them. New York, Ohio, Illinois, Florida, California, Texas. That's six. Missouri. Mm Mm-hmm. Missouri. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That's seven. At seven, you've got one more. It's the hardest one, I think. Um, it's a heck of an effort, regardless. Gosh. Give me, give me one more second. All right. You have named California, Illinois, Ohio, Florida, New York, Texas, and Missouri. You are missing one. And this is the tough one. I shouldn't feel bad if I miss it. No, I don't think you should feel bad about missing this one at all. I thought Ohio was going to be tough. You nailed that, though, with Cincinnati and Cleveland. I Pennsylvania. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Pittsburgh Pirates and the Philadelphia Eagles. All right, what were the five words that I gave you to begin? Nashville mattress, chicken, Barry Bonds hockey. Wow! Nailed it. Well done, Mr. Haydad, for not having taken a test in 20 years. That is outstanding. Thank you. He uh, he got the total number of S's right, despite me getting them wrong and asking the question. He got seven of the eight states with two or more Major League Baseball teams. California has four, San Diego, San Francisco, the Angels, and the Dodgers. Obviously, Illinois, Chicago, and uh, the Cubs and the White Sox. Indians and Reds in Ohio. Marlins and Rays in Florida. Mets and Yankees in New York. 
Rangers and Astros in Texas, Cardinals and Royals in Missouri, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, the only two that uh, he didn't get. Disappointing. That's disappointing when I get that. As the crow flies, 75 miles. Oxford is, uh, what, uh, 75 miles northwest of Starkville. Starkville to Oxford to Starkville to Oxford. That's three trips, 75 miles each, 225 miles. And he nailed the five words. That is exceptionally well done, Mr. Barkley. I was all set to tell you that that was terrible. And didn't the president do this recently? Can I can I run? Should I run for president now? Uh, by the one. way, watch this. Watch this. Ready? Thailand. <laughs> Yosemite. Yo- Yosemite National Park. Quinn says, "Nice job, hey Dad. I messed that up miserably." Somebody said it's the Phillies, not the Raffles in Pennsylvania. Did I say the Raffles in Pennsylvania? What did you say? The Raffles? I didn't hear that. I said uh, the the Phillies and the Pirates. Pirates, I was thinking Maryland. Uh, With Baltimore and D.C., that's what came to my head. Yeah, but D.C. is its own area there, so it doesn't count. Yeah, Nationals Park is in in the district, right? Yeah, it's within limits. I, I had to Google it to make sure. Uh, Tim and Tupelo says, I'm voting for Hey Dad. Oh, I'm sorry. Apparently I said the Eagles. You guys knew oh. what I meant. Oh, okay. The Eagles are Thank also you. in Philadelphia. Yes, 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 yes. Raffles really screwed me up. Jason wanted to know if the Crow stops for beer at the damn store. It's a North Mississippi reference there. He, stop- he stops at Buck- Buck's One Stop off the square in Calhoun City. <laughs> Brian Haydad, just a scorching score on that cognitive test. Well done. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming in Super Talk, uh, streaming at supertalk.fm. Ceasefire text line open to you, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Haydad's uh, smart enough to run that show by himself. Okay. I don't know about that. Um, Richard, next time let Michael ask the questions. That's from Jeff. And then he says, sometimes I like to uh, make fun of you guys for screwing up, but I skip every day. Maybe he meant screw up every day. It happens. Jason says, yes, please run for president. Anyone's better than those two yokels? <laughs> Boy, Biden <laughs> had a pretty significant gaffe yesterday or the day before, didn't he? Ugh. I missed that. It wasn't just saying. one, was it? Um... Well, he just adds. They both just add them up. And if we're talking in terms of one versus one, one greater than the other, at least for these two. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. I, I, I will not even go there. Uh, you no, you want to save you it for Gallo on Monday at six? I guess. Gallo in, in the, the morning. morning. But yeah, not good. Not uh, not great. Um, so in the 4 o'clock hour, there, there are a number of things to get to. The Pac-12's We Are United movement is getting some of what it wants, but uh, not some of what it wants. And with the announcement yesterday from the uh, what significant Oregon player whose dad gives it, yeah, he's playing. Sounds like it's losing a little bit of steam. And then today, I thought a seismic story 
that came out from the captain of Ohio State's football team. Don't have time to get into it right this second. We'll do that coming up in just a little bit. This is slightly um, smaller news. Parrish Alford at the uh, Daily Journal in Tupelo wrote a story. Said the two contracts that Ole Miss Athletics Director Keith Carter must work through involve the previously scheduled September 12th home opener with Southeast Missouri State and the November 21st game with Georgia Southern. Game against Baylor was a neutral site contest where both were just getting paid to come there, so that one just goes away. And the game against UConn goes away because UConn's not playing a season. And the fact that the SEC is only playing a 10 game schedule, but UConn even if there was a plus one, would not be the plus one because they're not going to play football, period. They were going to be an independent this year, uh, had added Ole Miss to their schedule. Uh, the, the, you know, it was a one-off trip where they came to Oxford and uh, were getting, at least as I understand it, very little in terms of compensation. They did so, Ole Miss a big favor there, didn't they? UConn gets canceled in the season. There's no, no opportunity for any kind of, of legal remedy there. that They canceled no. their season. Exactly. You're 100% right about that. But again, I think UConn was desperately just trying to fill games on their schedule. And I don't think the payment to them was significant anyway. Yeah. But that part of it doesn't matter. So you've got Southeast Missouri State and Georgia Southern. Keith Carter has not commented on the contract talks but is apparently having an ongoing discussion with Georgia Southern Athletics Director Jared Binko. If that name sounds familiar, that's because he was most recently the he was a senior associate AD at Mississippi State. He was kind of John Cohen's right-hand guy, wasn't he? He, he was the number two in Starkville? Yes. yes. So, so Jared Binko moved from the de facto deputy athletic director position at Mississippi State to being the AD at Georgia Southern. The Sunbelt Conference... Uh, Georgia Southern Eagles would have made 1.4 million from their game against Ole Miss. So that was that was a significant buy game for Georgia Southern. And Binko last night in some comments to a reporter said, uh, I, guess, I guess it was to uh, Parrish Alford said, I talked to Keith today, and Binko said he believes the schools quote can reach a decision that both parties are happy with close quote. And Parrish writes that that does not necessarily mean that Ole Miss will incur some of the cost of the guarantee. Binko said, you're never going to make somebody whole, but I'm optimistic that we can maybe schedule a game down the road and find some other ways of creatively looking at it. So we've kind of wondered aloud what these contract games are going to look like going forward, and obviously there is a need for some of these schools to get revenue and get it now. But in a lot of situations, there's no revenue to be given. Like, the scale is different, but the financial issues, power five level, big schools, medium-sized schools, small schools, and the group of five level are comparable. They're just different in size. And so we've wondered, you know, is there going to be some negotiating? Are you going to try and play these games down the line? Is it going to be some sort of a hybrid model? That's what it looks like it's going to be between Ole Miss and Georgia Southern, according to the reporting of Parrish Alford at the Daily Journal. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. The SEC released its medical protocols for playing football this year. We'll get to those coming up next as well. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. 
Good to be with you on this Friday afternoon rolling into the weekend. We are about an hour from the release of the cross-division opponents in the Southeastern Conference. That's going to happen on the SEC Network. That will serve as your college football fix to begin the 5 o'clock hour. Here's a little piece of local news that's kind of cool. Kennedy Swan, Kennedy Swan, who is on the Ole Miss women's golf team, is playing in the U.S. Women's Amateur. And today was the round of 32 and the round of 16. So they have the, the format there is stroke play, and then they take the top 64, and then you go into match play down to the uh, end. Kennedy Swan um, beat a lady from uh, a young lady from the Republic of Korea in the round of 32 today, two and one, uh, Boyun Park, to advance to the round of 16. And then in her second match of the day, Kennedy Swan beat Isabella Fierro from Mexico 2-1 and one as well. So Kennedy Swan from the Ole Miss women's golf team is now on to the round of eight, down to the final eight players in match play at the U.S. Women's Amateur. That is happening at Woodmont Country Club in Rockville, Maryland. The um, U.S. Amateur on the, men's si- uh, amateur on the men's side will be at Bandon Dunes. And I think it's another week or so. So uh, really cool. A couple of two and one wins at the U.S. Women's Amateur to get all the way to the uh, to the round of eight. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad with you. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Ceasefire text line is open 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Want more fast and less furious? Switch to gigabit Ceasefire Fiber. And see what real internet looks like. No data caps, no long-term contracts, no cancellation fees. Learn more at cspire.com slash fiber. A couple of pretty big stories today. Uh, so far, we've got another big one coming in just a little while. The SEC is moving forward with its plans for the 2020 college football season. And they are doing so, you know, kind of taking steps along the way. Today they released the medical protocols, the COVID-19 protocols that are going to be in place for all 14 teams in the SEC. So the requirements and testing strategies uh, developed by the task force will continue to be reviewed and updated as new information becomes available. Requirements are being developed as minimum standards for SEC programs to enact and serve to build on recommendations from the Autonomy 5 Medical Advisory Group and the NCAA's guidelines as well. There is expected to be an additional preseason report from the SEC task force by August the 31st. So here are the testing procedures. Uh, The SEC will coordinate centralized testing through a third-party provider to ensure consistency in surveillance uh, surveillance and pre-competition testing. PCR testing is the current standard testing method for COVID-19. Alternative testing methods may be considered if sufficient data develops to support those methods. That kind of grabbed me right out of the gate when I read this because this is one of the things that both the Pac-12 guys and the Big Ten guys said we wanted. They wanted. They wanted independent, third-party, league-coordinated testing across the board, and before you ever get to that as a possibility, as a request from student-athletes in the SEC, the league just said, hey, this is how we're going to do it. Seems like a good starting point. 
In football, student-athletes and others in direct contact with the program will receive a PCR surveillance test at least twice weekly during competition, typically six days and three days prior to competition. And there's a recommendation of exploring alternative testing methods that will accommodate a third test in addition to the two required that will provide for the reliability and rapid response in a time frame closer to competition. That sounds like probably they're shooting for a day before the game test or a day of the game test, maybe if you've got a night contest. And that would be the rapid response testing that we hear about, which in terms of accuracy is generally not as high, but gives you quicker results as well. Uh, Volleyball and soccer, the standards are a little bit different. They will have uh, two tests a week. And then cross-country will be required to have one test a week. Masking. In football, volleyball, and soccer, all coaches, staff, and non-competing personnel will be required to wear face coverings on the sideline, and physical distance uh, distancing will be employed to the extent possible. Also, each school is required to designate a COVID-19 protocol oversight officer who will, be respons- uh, who will be responsible for education and ensuring compliance with all the SEC's COVID-19 management requirements. What do you guys make of this? I mean, it's a lot of it is what we've been hearing from the other conferences, but they're obviously, like you pointed out, some new wrinkles, uh, trying to be proactive. But, you know, it's, 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 it's going to be something, you know, everybody's going to have to deal with. So... I'm glad that we have protocols because protocols means we're moving forward. Yeah. I mean, it feels to me like they nailed this. I'm not trying to carry the water of the SEC. Here's what I would the reason I say that, though. It's almost like the SEC, instead of being in a rush to get their protocols out, sat back and listened to what the conversation was around the country and looked to see what was working and what wasn't working and then said, okay, these are going to be our protocols. Players in the Pac-12 and the Big Ten want third-party testing. Yeah, that makes sense. We'll do third-party testing. Major League Baseball was having issues, so what did they do? They put a compliance officer on every team to make sure that everybody was following the rules. So what does the SEC do? Each school is going to have to have a compliance officer who's responsible for not only educating but making sure everybody follows the rules. Three tests a week two mandatory and a third that is recommended. That's what players were saying they wanted in other leagues. Kind of what's happening in the NBA. Was it three tests a week in the NBA, Borky? It was daily at first. Uh, I'm sure they've laxed that since, but the first, I think it was two weeks there, they were getting tested daily. Yeah. All of this sounds good except for one thing. And one thing I just can't get past, and that is the you cannot test yourself out of your 14-day quarantine after a positive. That, especially, we've mentioned the Matt Stafford thing, where he got a false positive, and now you have it at Northwestern. Northwestern shut down their football workouts, and it turns out it was a false positive that did it. So if a player tests... that doesn't make sense. That does not make sense at all. So a player could have one positive, have to go into 14-day quarantine... And then have f- or, and have five negatives in a row, and they still don't end the 14-day quarantine. I, I don't get it. I mean, the testing is accurate to a point. Now, 
the the result is more likely the correct one than not. However, in football now, we have seen two cases of false positives really affecting a team. And so you're going to have, let's just throw a name out there. Why not? Uh, Mac Jones at Alabama. Let's say he tests positive. Has to go into 14-day quarantine. A couple days later, Alabama thinks, you know what? He's not showing any symptoms. Let's test him again. Well, negative. Wait, hold on. Test him again the next day. It's another negative. Test him again the next day. It's another negative. And then they kind of put it together that, oh, that was a false positive. But the league's not letting him out of quarantine. That doesn't make any sense. That that needs to be altered. I, I support isolating people for having the virus. I'm not diminishing the virus's existence, but false positives do exist. Ask Matt Stafford. Could you be willing to meet in the middle on this and say the PCR testing, which has a less than 1% false negative, uh, I don't know if capability is the right, it's not the right word, but you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. That maybe you can't test out of that one. But if they go to the rapid response testing where there's like a 5%-ish false positive or false negative possibility, that's the one where you should be able to, okay, you tested positive, we're 24 hours from game day, you can't play in this game, but we are going to back go back and retest, especially if you're not showing symptoms, if you're asymptomatic. And if you get multiple negatives then maybe then you reevaluate it. Yeah, and same thing happened, what was it, to the, to the governor of Ohio, right? He was scheduled to meet with the president and tested uh, positive in the morning, missed his meeting with the president, and by the afternoon, turns out that was a false positive because he, he turned a negative over in the afternoon. So there's got to be something. Uh, hopefully there's a hand-raised guy in the room somewhere that if an event like this happens, they are able to adjust their rules to let the kid play. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. The statement that came out of Ohio State today that has a lot of people talking and kind of changes the narrative, especially in the Big Ten. We're talking about Syracuse earlier today and their lack of interest in playing some opponents because of protocol issues, Liberty being one of them. Interesting news out of Lynchburg, Virginia. The Executive Committee of Liberty University's Board of Trustees acting on behalf of the full board met today and requested that Jerry Falwell Jr. take an indefinite leave of absence from his roles as President and Chancellor of Liberty University, to which he has agreed effective immediately. Oh, Blackwater, Jerry Falwell's leaving. Okay, then. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Things to be, seem to be progressing nicely in uh, NFL land. Austin Stanley joins us right now, one of the hosts at A to Z Sports in Nashville. Austin, what's up, man? How's it going, guys? And things are good. Tell us how it's going uh, in Nashville for the Titans and kind of as you look around the NFL and see some of what's out there. I, I was particularly struck by uh, Matt Rule's quotes today out of Carolina where he says, you know, walking around this building, I don't see any way we're not going to play football. 
Well, that's interesting because uh, today the Titans just put their first player on the COVID list after, like since they've all been back in the building. And that was veteran D lineman Jack Crawford, who's a former Falcon. Uh, so he goes on the COVID list on the same day that another former Falcon, Vic Beasley, shows up uh, being paid $9.5 million in the offseason, went basically missing from the team for 10 days. Uh, so it's been not quiet at all <laughs> with the Tennessee Titans because – of Vic Beasley just not communicating where he's been, why he didn't report on time. Uh, he showed up today. He didn't opt out. No Titans opted out uh, for coronavirus because of uh, minus one undrafted free agent offensive lineman that opted out early. Uh, but it's been pretty busy up here in Nashville with the Titans, and I, I think we'll be out live on the practice field watching a practice maybe a week from today. So that's just fingers crossed. Yeah, that uh, that certainly feels like progress. When you kind of take a snapshot of the NFL as a whole, I mean, I know you're focused on the Titans and, and you're focused on Nashville. D- does it feel like there's more good news coming in than bad news, or does it feel like it's all, okay, this guy's opting out and this guy's testing positive? Well, only, uh, only 69 players opted out uh, in the entire NFL, which is ironic that's the number, but it, I, that's lower than I thought. Nice. Um, so... Um, uh, I feel like it's kind of early to tell because they're still not having any contact practices. So the training camp usually starts that last week of July, and they're out there. They have you know helmets and shoulder pads for a couple of days, and they're full pads on day three. Well, they're not really going to get to do that uh, until I think August 17th before they can put full pads on. So it's going to be really hard to tell uh, until they have all those padded practices where you can't avoid contact. I know the Titans are using their bubble facility um, as their basically meeting area where they can spread out on a football field-sized area and use a microphone to talk um, to the entire team as they're split up in position groups. Um, so they're being safe there, and I think that's positive. They're doing well with that. But it's really hard to tell until actual – padded practices are going. Austin, I mean, there's no question we're living in a weird time, but given the offseason that the the Titans had, um, are are people pretty optimistic about where things stand going into a a season that's going to be unlike any other? Yeah, I think uh, think Titans fans are pretty jacked up. I mean, you've got an offense that was very potent, averaging over 30 points a game when Ryan Tannehill took over. Uh, in week seven last season, Derrick Henry got paid um, at the beginning of July, and everybody's happy about that. They've got basically everybody back on offense except for the right tackle who they drafted, Isaiah Wilson out of Georgia, the first round to replace, and have a veteran depth piece there, too, and Dennis Kelly. But, um, you know, the, people are concerned about the pass rush, uh, but the overall the defense has a lot of really good young pieces, including Jeffrey Simmons and I don't know if you guys have seen pictures of Jeffrey Simmons this offseason, but he has shredded any pound of baby fat he had on him last year. That guy looks like a superhero. Um, So everybody's excited to see uh, the next step for both he and A.J. Brown in year two of their careers after having really good rookie campaigns. Who makes a bigger jump in in the second year? I mean, maybe – more, more opportunity for Jeffrey Simmons. Do, do you think the role for A.J. Brown continues to evolve, or do you think kind of what we saw uh, of his rookie or in his rookie year is kind of the expectation for him going forward? 
Well, I think that the biggest room to jump is obviously Simmons, just because there were people in that building that said that Simmons finished last season at 75%, which is crazy and terrifying to think about. Um, so if he's just got the most room to grow because of the injury he's coming off of. A.J. Brown is going to be interesting because you don't really know how teams and defenses are going to focus on him uh, because in the playoffs, A.J. was pretty quiet. When you went up against Stephon Gilmore in New England in the playoff game, he had one catch for four yards. It was pretty quiet the next week against Baltimore, who's got a really good secondary. Um, so uh, there's a lot of good corners that he played last year. Marshawn Lattimore uh, of New Orleans. They played uh, the Saints late in the year, and, and A.J. was pretty quiet receiving in that game. So he's going to be able to take the next step and uh, play against the elite corners, and then definitely we'll see how coverages rotate to him and if they try to bracket him a little bit because he should be treated like a number one wideout. I'm curious if people around the NFL, uh, you know, you know how some schools end up getting reputations for, you know, consistently putting out quality players at, at quality positions. You have LSU and uh, I don't know Florida and Florida State and whoever else that want to argue about DBU. Um, right. Is Mississippi State getting the reputation as kind of defensive lineman? You given. You know what Chris Jones uh, is doing in Kansas City, and why can I not think of the defensive tackle Haydad's name with the Eagles? Fletcher Cox. Fletcher Cox Fletcher is doing Cox, in Philadelphia, yeah, right. and maybe how people project Jeffrey Simmons in Tennessee. I think so, and I think that's just you got to give a lot of credit to Dan Mullen and what he did. There's just he had big guys in Mississippi State. I mean, Elton Jenkins went up there in Green Bay and was a starting member of the offensive line as a second round pick last year. So. Um, I think Dan Mullen did a really good job of recruiting, and that, that shows you in the SEC at schools that don't have consistent success like that. Once you get some big dudes on that roster, you start to have a little more success in winning more games. So, yeah, I, I definitely think Mississippi State had a really good run on defensive linemen and offensive linemen for sure, no doubt. Austin Stanley from A to Z Sports in Nashville visiting with us on Sports Talk Mississippi on the Farm Bureau phone line. Just quickly as we, we wrap things up, a step away from the NFL and the Titans, it's kind of the buzz on college football from uh, from where you sit. Obviously, Vanderbilt there, uh, maybe that's not the best example. Tennessee, uh, a little farther <laughs> to the east. Uh, yeah. And I only say, I'm not picking on Vanderbilt. It's the all the stories about what they're doing with that athletics department that are just so disheartening. But... I digress. What's the yeah. buzz in terms of college football in the uh, in the Volunteer State? Well, I, I think there's optimism for Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt in year three, especially on the recruiting push that they had uh, late spring when they got up to the number two class in the country. That's kind of fizzled off a little bit now because they've taken a lot of commitments. But um, and the Preds just losing overtime, so the Preds season is over. So now every Nashvilleian. Yeah, every Nashvilleian will now shift all of their focus towards um, uh, football, and the Grizzlies aren't doing much better in the bubble up there or down there in Orlando either. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think uh, Tennessee fans are very excited about year three. But what does that look like, and how can you judge the success or lack of success with ten conference games? Where I guess we're gonna all gonna find out within the next hour or so who everybody's gonna play uh, for games nine and ten in league play and. Does Tennessee draw an LSU and an A&M, which has been rumored? Do they draw Auburn? I mean, nobody's going to have an easy walk. It's going to be tough. And so Tennessee had a chance with games like Charlotte, Troy, and Furman 
um, to go eight and four, to take a big step in the regular season after winning their last six games last year. Um, and now it's just kind of like, okay, let's wait. We have to reset what success looks like. Mm-hmm. And is six and four in this 10 game SEC season, does that count as success and progress for Pruitt? Austin, back at, uh, I don't know, end of April, I guess it was, I was in Nashville for a day and uh, and drove down Broadway, and that was one of the eeriest things I've ever done because there was just nobody anywhere. Is Nashville coming back to life at all? Um, well, it tried to for a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you Googled um, yeah. Fashion House Party Nashville or not. <laughs> yeah, that was, that uh, was not pretty. A little bit. No, it was not. Um, uh, but they... they they opened that downtown a little bit. There were some bars. And then, unfortunately, you see some of those downtown bar owners that um, are basically printing money that decided to be reckless with some things. And then cases started to spike up. Tourists came back into town, and they were not acting as like the locals were. So Nashville, as of right now, is still pretty quiet. I know that the mask mandate's been uh, just about a month old, which I, I heard recently this week that numbers are starting to trend down and look better because of that. So, um, but yeah, it's just uh, Nashville's a tourist city and it's uh, it's entertainment city. So a lot of uh, the economy runs off of events and people traveling into town and. Yep. Uh, you know, doing things after dark, and that's it's been a tough time for a lot of the uh, the downtown area for sure. Thanks, Austin. Appreciate it, guys. Have a good one. Keep Death taxes and Jimmy Buffett's on Friday on Sports Talk Mississippi. Yes, please. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Thanks for being with us. Glad to have you along. You had. Uh, we are united from the uh, athletes of the Pac-12, some of them. You had Big Ten United, a letter that purportedly represented a 1,000 football players was in the Big Ten. total. Was it student athletes? Yeah, it wasn't just football players. It was athletes total. Well, I thought the way that thing originally read, it was said a thousand football players, more than a thousand football players in the Big Ten. You can double check me on that. Maybe I'm wrong. I will do that. I swear it was student athletes of the Big Ten. Okay. Well, Ohio State said, uh, not so fast, my friend. Perhaps with a pencil, a la Lee Corso. Tough Borland, great name, who was a captain no, on the right. Ohio State. 1,000 Big Ten football players. That's Yeah, and, and the reason that stood out in my mind was because I thought that was an impossible number. And I, I think they played had some little, it was like little wordplay there, where it was saying, we are representing over 1,000 football players in the Big Ten. Re, read it exactly as it, it's written, Borky. The college athlete unity is going on record to express the concerns of over 1,000 Big Ten football players. See, I think that was misleading. Then, I think that... They, we were led to believe that a thousand football players had signed off on that, but that just simply, I don't think, is the case. Yeah, and then they followed it. Here's where our confusion was: they followed it with CAU members represent 23 different varsity sports at schools in every major conference. That's right. where I got confused. Yeah. So Tough Borland, who's a captain on the Ohio State football team, tweeted this letter that is signed the Ohio State University student athletes. Here's what it says. I'm just going to read it to you. 
to the college athletics community in response to the Big Ten United letter written by College Athlete Unity. The Ohio State University student-athletes would like to give our thoughts on conference and university COVID-19 protocols and safety efforts. We believe our institution is providing the proper structure and organization for safety here at Ohio State. Uh, I'm sorry, it's for safety. Here at Ohio State, we set the standard for what college athletics should look like amid COVID-19. First, we appreciate that the Big Ten United letter was intended to protect and voice concerns of Big Ten student-athletes. However, we do not think it represents the efforts and actions of Ohio State adequately. While there are still plenty of questions to be answered and plans to be made in order to compete this fall, we believe that our safety has been at the forefront of our institution's efforts for return-to-play models. We're comfortable and trust that the decisions by Gene Smith, athletic director, Dr. Borchers, head physician, our coaches, and health and safety professionals are made in our best interest. It's been said that college athletes are being exploited, not only in the stated letter, but also in the media. We recognize that there are risks, but we have all chosen to be here and want the chance to play this fall. We know that there's still a long way to go as plans continue to change every day, but we have a consistent voice in the discussion. CDC and state guidelines have been the foundation of our protocols. Our university has been transparent in their goals and process as information is gathered. Testing, wearing masks, hand washing, and proper social distancing have become the new normal at Ohio State. As Buckeyes, we want this to be the standard across all Big Ten universities for the safety and well-being of our fellow student-athletes. Every day, we recognize the privilege of being a student-athlete at The Ohio State University. We've been reassured across many levels that we can opt out of playing this year if we feel unsafe or uncomfortable. We embrace the inherent risks that come with competing at a collegiate level. Even amid the COVID-19 pandemic, we choose to represent our teams and the Big Ten at practices, during competition, and in the community. We respect that these thoughts about safety and protocols may not be shared by all student-athletes across the country, but as Ohio State Buckeyes, we stand with the decisions of our athletic department and conference. Sincerely, the Ohio State University student-athletes. That's powerful. Oh, yeah, and he was absolutely not anywhere close to being the only Ohio State player to share that letter today. Man, does that take some wind out of the sails of Big Ten United? How could it not? How could it not? I mean, it's got to. That's the biggest school in the Big Ten. That's that's the lead dog. Imagine if this was the SEC and an Alabama thing like that came out. That would be the end of it. Hey, Dad, I was going to say, with with no disrespect intended, this letter didn't come from Rutgers. Right. Yeah, no. It didn't come from Iowa. Yeah. It didn't come from Michigan State. It came from Ohio State. Means a lot more. Even just saying it out loud, it has a different impact than than anybody else. Came I mean, from, came it, from the Ohio State University. Oh yeah, I know. Elite, don't, don't get us don't get us any trouble with branding. You mentioned captain, but elite level player too. I mean, this is and it underscores a point I was I was making the other day. Like all of these things can be true at once. People. When when the Pac-12 letter came out, now think about the value of an Ohio State football player, let alone a multi-year captain and early-round draft pick Ohio State football player, compared to the entire roster at Cal. I mean, the difference in 
what Ohio State players' value is compared to most everybody in the Big or in the Pac-12 is pretty stark. But everybody, when that letter came out, was pointing to see, see, they're exploited. All these athletes, they're exploited. They're exploited. And Ohio State players are like, wait, no, we're not. No, we're not. We're treated pretty good around here. And it's just funny to see that, where everybody wants to tell these kids they're exploited, and yet Ohio State, that makes more money than everybody but like three college football programs in the country, their elite players are saying, no, no, we're not. We chose this. They take care of us. We're good. I mean, all these things can be true at once. I think players We have been told... That yeah. if we're uncomfortable or we feel unsafe, we can opt out and our scholarships are safe. Yep. And I haven't seen an Ohio State player opt out yet. Maybe I've missed it, but people are keeping track, and I haven't seen one from there just yet. I mean, all these things can be true at once. The spending and money in college football is out of control. Willie Taggart got $19 million to not coach at Florida State. It's ridiculous. The facilities that they're building are over the top. Look at what Texas is putting in their end zone. It's, it's so cool. It's really awesome, but it's over the top. NFL teams don't have that kind of stuff. I think players should be able to benefit in the free market off their name, image, and likeness. However, college athletes, and being a college football player, has some pretty sweet perks that come with it. And the education they receive is, is extremely valuable. All of those things can be true at the same time. And it's just funny to see Ohio State being the program that has all of its players put their hand up and say, hey, guys, they're not exploiting us. They take care of us. We're happy. We're all good. Ohio State is the program that's doing that. It's funny. Wait until Jim Harbaugh hears about this. I'm sure he'll interrupt Ryan Day on the next Big Ten call as well. You, you made him say that. You you made them do that. That's That's not real. And I do love the replies to all that. People are saying that actually Gene Smith, the athletic director, wrote that, and the players don't really mean that. So the players only have voices when they're confirming what you think and not when they're saying something that you don't believe. It's funny how that works. Yeah. Uh, Tiger Woods just made a bogey on number three. He drops a shot, falls back to one under par for the championship leaderboard at the – that's PGA Championship at Harding Park in uh, San Francisco is spicy. I mean, we, we, we want and need Tiger to be there. But even without that, Hal uh, Tong Lee, eight under after shooting a 65 today on the heels of a 67 yesterday. Jason Day continues his good play, two under on his round through five holes today. Backing up to 65 yesterday, he's one shot back at seven under. Tommy Fleetwood shot 64 today to get it to minus six. Brooks Kepka two under par through his first four holes today. He is at minus six. Cameron Champ shot 64 today. He leads a group at five under that includes Paul Casey, Brendan Todd, Tony Finau, Xander Shawfley, who's on the course right now, uh, Mike Lorenzo Vera as well. And then you got a big group at uh, four under. Scores are good. Wind is expected to pick up a little bit as they uh, roll through the afternoon. Right now it's 71 degrees and sunny in San Francisco with a 6-mile-an-hour wind out of the west with gusts up to 12 miles an hour. And again, it's expected to be a little windier as we uh, we go through the afternoon and into the evening. But we'll see how that plays out. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. I had no idea that there was going to be something when we started the show today that was going to cause me to change the channel 
uh, away from the PGA Championship, but that's exactly what I'm going to do in just a few minutes as we're now about uh, 12 minutes away from the SEC announcing the cross-division opponents for SEC teams. No dates, just the opponents. That's happening on the SEC Network at 5 o'clock. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad on this Friday afternoon, carrying you into the weekend. Don't forget, ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Vance on the coast says, Dang it, boys, now I've got to start liking Ohio State. This is bizarro world. Hats off to those athletes for being stand-up folks. Another message says, that is a perfect message from the Ohio State players. Harbaugh is trash. True. (laughs) I've Um, seen people make the argument, uh, well, before Corona happened, of course, that uh, Harbaugh has reached Michigan's ceiling of success, that he gets a lot of grief for coaching at a program that's not set up to win national championships, and I'm mind-blown by that. Yeah, I totally disagree with that. Michigan can win national titles. Um, Sorry, I was looking at this story on USA Today. It's an opinion piece from Sean Windsor that says Michigan football coach Jim Harbaugh snitched on Ohio State coach Ryan Day. Good for him. (laughs) Something about USA Today, man. Good for him? Give Give me a break. No, no, okay, okay. Now, perhaps the headline's a little misleading because he's his first line is "College football is back in all its petty glory," uh, okay. and then he talked That's... about some of what happened yesterday, and he said, "Boy, did we need this, if only for a moment, to remember what college football is truly about." <laughs> He pivoted a little bit and kind of tried to get serious. He would have been better off just kind of hanging with the lighthearted shots about the pettiness of college football. Um, a little bit different, little different tenor in the Pac-12 than in the Big Ten, but according to Sports Illustrated, things are not exactly as they were originally laid out. After a call between Larry Scott, the Pac-12 commissioner, a couple of ADs, and uh, another high-ranking administrator from the uh, Pac-12 office, and 12 players from the Pac-12. The call mostly centered on the player-only movements, health and safety concerns regarding COVID-19, but the Pac-12 was simply unwilling to engage, said they will not engage in the movement's most aggressive demand, a 50% cut of conference revenue. Pac-12 leaders pushed back against the players' demand for each sports participants to receive a cut of the conference revenue. Conference officials told We Are United members that such a move would lead to athletes becoming employees and would impact the, those athletes who do not participate in revenue-generating sports. The two sides did not discuss the demand for Scott and others within the conference to take salary reductions. Reportedly, there was little talk about a boycott, but more about COVID-related concerns. Call was described as positive, 
in terms of the conversations about phasing back into athletic activities. Conference executives promised to give the group an update soon on guidelines and protocols related to return to practice and play. Maybe it's just me. I feel the demand to give get everybody to take a bit huge pay cut is more aggressive than the revenue one. Like, at the end of the day, they, they could find a way to cut them in on the revenue. Maybe not 50%, but they could cut them in on the revenue if they really wanted to. But nobody's taking a pay cut. Nobody. Certainly not Steve Sarkeesian. Got an $850,000 pay bump to $2.5 million a year. He's good. He doesn't coach in the Pac-12. He's good. No, I understand. I just was using that generally. Larry, Larry Scott's not taking a pay cut. It's just yeah. not happening. So. But, but I think you were right when you said nobody's taking a pay cut. I mean, there have been a few, but they've been kind of voluntary as it well, relates they're, to... They're, they're COVID-related. They're not, you know, we, we want to do right by athletes-related. No, you're you're right. Yeah. And by the way, the Sarkeesian deal was approved before any of the COVID stuff happened. So they weren't able to yeah. really go back on that. Salary pool for assistant coaches at Alabama, I think I read $8.5 million. Which immediately prompts the people to go, yeah, but we don't have the money to pay the athletes. Market-driven. 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 Two hours in the books with you on this Friday afternoon. When we come back, we'll have the college football fix, and we will have the unveiling of the cross-division opponents for all 14 SEC teams. If you want to watch that, you can uh, check it out on the SEC network. But certainly, we're going to keep you up to date with what's happening as it unfolds. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad on a Friday, Sports Talk Mississippi. Well, there's the first one off the board of local interest. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad on this Friday afternoon. Welcome to the weekend. Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. The schedule reveal is happening on the SEC Network right now. We know one of Mississippi State's two new opponents Mississippi State will travel to Georgia. That's all we know so far as it pertains to Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Here's what we've got so far. Alabama is going to Missouri, and they will host Kentucky. So pretty good for Alabama. Um, No, wait a minute. You're telling me that Alabama got two of the easier opponents in the SEC East? No way. And then Arkansas somehow gets the top two teams in the East? That just happenstance. No other way that happened. And now we have one of the results for Ole Miss as well, as Ole Miss will travel to Kentucky uh, for one of their two additional cross-divisional games. So Alabama at Missouri hosting Kentucky, Arkansas is hosting Georgia and going to Florida. Auburn is going to South Carolina. They will host Tennessee. Florida will travel to Texas A&M and host Arkansas. Georgia going to Arkansas, mentioned it a second ago, and they will host Mississippi State. Kentucky will go to Alabama, and they will host Ole Miss. So now we've got LSU on the docket. LSU has Missouri, 
in Baton Rouge. Well, we went from playing catch-up to now we've got to wait on uh, on these two. Uh, so the additional home opponent for LSU is Missouri. The additional road game from L- for LSU is a trip to Vanderbilt. <laughs> oh, my God. They were just there last year, right? So you're telling me they were me just there last that, year. That Alabama gets Missouri and Kentucky, and LSU gets Vanderbilt and Missouri, and there's nothing going on in Birmingham at all that favors some teams over the other. This just happened to work out this way. That hapless Arkansas gets completely screwed, and Alabama and LSU <laughs> are have, get they get they don't get a ball on the tee. They get a beach ball placed on a tee for them to knock out of the park. Give me a break, I, man. All right, so Ole Miss goes God. to Kentucky, and they will host South Carolina, which I think. Hey, Dad, did you predict that earlier? Uh, yeah, I think I did. You did. You had Ole Miss uh, playing Missouri and South Carolina. Ole Miss gets Kentucky and South Carolina. Kentucky on the road, South Carolina at home for Ole Miss. Come on. So Ole Miss's road games this year are Kentucky, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, LSU, Texas A&M. Their home games, South Carolina, Florida, Alabama, Auburn, and Mississippi State. So we know that Mississippi State is going to Georgia in addition to their road games against Kentucky, Alabama, LSU, and Ole Miss, Mississippi State will host Vanderbilt. Oh, there you go. So they get so Georgia it, so and Vanderbilt. Hold on. And, hold on. So that's the next two opponents, like we talked about a month ago. Yeah, but it's Is not that, that right way for everybody. For everybody. It's no, not, okay. it's not okay. that way for everybody. No. So they host Vanderbilt and go to Georgia. Yep. So the home games this year for Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, Missouri, Arkansas, Auburn, and Texas A&M, their road games, Georgia and Kentucky, and then the other three that I mentioned a second ago. Missouri has to go to LSU and host Alabama. So Missouri, wow. Missouri adds LSU and Alabama to their schedule. So they're the Arkansas of the East. I love how Dari Noka, I was able to listen to it before we came on, was, guys, you remember, you have to look at the totality of the schedule because they tried to make it equal. Thanks, Dari. I know your paycheck is signed by the SEC office, but but let's be real here. We There's no way you can explain this other than what it is. We all know what it is. We've known what it is, but come on now. South Carolina, mentioned a second ago, we'll go to Ole Miss. So South Carolina's road games this year are Ole Miss, LSU, Florida, Kentucky and Vanderbilt, and their home schedule, I don't have all of it in front of me right this second. Uh, Tennessee will go to Auburn, and they will host Texas A&M. You can tell that the the schools didn't have any previous knowledge of this, because there would have been graphics already, right? I'm, I, there's no, there's nothing from Hell State football. I haven't seen anything from Ole Miss football on the tweet deck, you know, where, where uh, there, I guess it just came out for Ole Miss. Road games for road game Texas A and M. Sorry, uh, Texas A and M will go to Tennessee and they will host Florida, and so that leaves Vanderbilt. And I guess we've got their two games already, right? Uh, at Mississippi State and LSU. LSU. 
There it is. Ole Miss right. got... Um, they uh, got the best as, draw out of anybody, didn't they? Just as good as you could really have asked did, for. Yeah. I mean, Kentucky's so, going to be good. Let's not pretend like it's the Kentucky of old, but still, if you had to get two teams from the East that you weren't currently playing, uh, those are the two you ask for. All right, so so here they are. Let's just walk through all of these because that was kind of piecemeal. In the East, Florida will go to Texas A&M and host Arkansas. Georgia goes to Arkansas and hosts Mississippi State. Kentucky goes to Alabama and hosts Ole Miss. Missouri, (sighs) at LSU, hosting Alabama. South Carolina is at Ole Miss and hosting Auburn. Tennessee, not easy for them, at Auburn and hosting Texas A&M. A sneaky tough draw there. Although, hey, Dad says those are the two overrated programs. And then uh, Vanderbilt goes to Mississippi State and hosts LSU. You did not get that Arkansas-Vanderbilt matchup that you were anticipating, Brian. I- I'm really surprised by that. That would have preserved at least only one They would give somebody program. a chance to go one and nine. Yeah. Um, Alabama goes to Missouri and hosts Kentucky. Let me back up and say Ole Miss probably get the best draw. Alabama probably get the best draw. Oh, yeah, of course. And so Alabama and LSU got the best draws because... Well, you know, happenstance. They just drew names out of a hat or something, and it came up Alabama somehow, some way. At Missouri and Kentucky for Alabama. At Florida and Georgia for Arkansas. Holy cow. <laughs> who, who in Fayetteville hurt the SEC office? At South Carolina and Tennessee for Auburn. At Vanderbilt, Missouri at home for LSU. At Kentucky, hosting South Carolina for Ole Miss. At Georgia for Mississippi State, hosting Vanderbilt. Texas A&M didn't get it easy either. They've got to go to Tennessee and host Florida. There you go. Congratulations to your trip to the COVID college football playoff, Alabama. Man. What do you think Sam Pittman is thinking right now? I know, like, on the surface, he's going to tell his team, boys, you know, that's why you came to the SEC. That's why we're going to play. But, like, deep down, when he saw those two teams pop up on his schedule, what do you think he thought? Can't say it on the air. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just leave it at, no, sir. <laughs> Missouri and Kentucky, South Carolina and Kentucky. I'm going to say LSU got the easiest draw. Out of all 14 teams, the reigning national champ got the easiest draw, Missouri and Vanderbilt. Which is the opposite of how strength of schedule and competitive balance is supposed to work, right? It's supposed to be the best team gets the, the, the tough. You know, the Chiefs are playing the hardest schedule this year in the NFL. It's crazy. I guess it's not crazy. It's it's totally expected. Now, in fairness, Alabama was already playing Georgia, and they yeah. were already playing Tennessee. I don't have an issue with them not getting Florida, but Mizzou and Vandy is kind of fun. It, they could have, or that's why they got Kentucky, right? Haven't they, they beaten Kentucky Tennessee like every year for the last fifteen years or something like that? 
I wonder if they'll rearrange the schedule so that it's actually on the third Saturday in October. They were supposed to play Mississippi State on the third Saturday of October this year. Got to preserve that rivalry that's just rooted in such rich competition in history. LSU was already playing Florida, and they were already playing South Carolina. So, so LSU's four Eastern Division opponents are Florida, South Carolina, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. Whatever Sam Pittman did to make somebody bad, Ed Ogeron did the opposite. <laughs> he just won a national championship. That's why. Bulldogs making the road trip to lovely Athens, Georgia, and beautiful Sanford Stadium. Hopefully, media can, can go. Ole Miss headed to Keeneland. Are they going to open that back up for races this fall? Never gotten to see those in the fall. Sports Talk Mississippi, we will be right back. So my mom is driving to Dallas right now. This was, uh, this was supposed to be my little brother's graduation weekend. He uh, has just finished up a three-year program at... Uh, uh, He's, he's, I guess, I guess it's official now. He's a doctor of chiropractic and it all got derailed because of COVID because what hasn't gotten derailed. So she texted me Borky just a second ago and she said, driving through Little Rock and was listening to sports drive time. Their hosts are railing and squalling. (laughs) Hey, I would be too though, man. I mean, what did they do to deserve this? She did say she's now switched it over to the best sports talk show. She's listening to us on the app as she yeah. drives along through. There we go. Lovely Arkansas. Hey, Richard's mom. <laughs> What's her name? Beverly. Hey, Beverly. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I agree that there's reason to be frustrated if you're Arkansas. When's the last time they won an SEC game? Give me a second. Chad Morton win one. It's twenty. It's twenty seventeen. So, if you tell, if you try to tell me it's the Hunter Henry heave, I'm going to throw something virtually at you. No, it's 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 since then. Uh, they since beat. Then. It, it is Ole Miss. It was that crazy game where Ole Miss was up uh, big, and then they came back and they tried that last field goal like five times before it finally was good. Twenty seventeen. Ole Miss, oh, that's Arkansas, the play where Ole Miss Arkansas was completely Miss in control and yes. then had the fumble. Yeah. That kind of 38 37 in Oxford. That's the last SEC game Arkansas won. It's so not, not looking as good painful. for the old Razorbacks this year. Huh? Not as painful, Richard. It's not as. There you go. Um, no, not as painful. So Arkansas's SEC schedule this year Mississippi State on the road. Texas A&M will now be on the road in College Station. Not going to play it in Dallas anymore. Alabama at home. LSU at home. Tennessee at home. Auburn on the road. Ole Miss at home. Missouri on the road. Georgia at home. And Florida on the road. Gross. Hunter, you're a check release to statement. 
Yeah. Did he really? Toughest schedule in college football history, he yeah. called it. Here, I'm not going to disagree. Here it is. We already own the nation's, nation's strongest 2020 football schedule, and with these additions to our SEC-only schedule, we now own the most challenging schedule in the history of college football. As Razorbacks, we have never backed down from a challenge. This year will be no different. Our focus remains on the growth of our program and supporting Coach Sam Pittman and our football student-athletes as they embrace this extraordinary opportunity. Uh, I think he misspelled brace for this extraordinary opportunity. He said embrace, but I think he meant the other. They need to brace themselves. <laughs> oh, boy. That's tough. And with, like, everybody's talking about how the recruiting class is so great, but when you really look at it, it's not at all. They just have a lot of numbers, but as far as bodies and SEC West quality talent, it's just not there right now. So they're dealing with COVID and how they couldn't have a spring practice. They couldn't really have a summer workout. They get this messed up schedule where there's not even an easy potential win on it anymore for them. 0-10 is absolutely on the table. And... They have been completely hamstrung in recruiting to where you can't even point to positive momentum. I mean, I guess maybe they could beat somebody, but there will be nothing on the field that will be able to point to positive momentum. You can't bring visitors in to check out your facilities and stuff. It's going to have to be all virtual, and they're going to watch you play, or probably not watch you play, every Saturday. How do you expect... I mean, this isn't even year zero for Pittman. This is like year negative .5. For him, I mean, he should be given almost a complete pass for this season. Mm. Tennessee's upset as well. So, the Tennessee—excuse <clears throat> me—the Tennessee schedule this year, not an easy one. Florida, Missouri, South Carolina—they get Alabama from the West. Arkansas, Kentucky, they go to Georgia, obviously Vanderbilt at the end, and they added Auburn and Texas A&M. Now, they already played Alabama. They didn't add LSU, but they added the next two best teams on paper in the West going in. Uh, Saw somebody tweet a, a moment ago that Tennessee and Arkansas are the only two schools to play all five of the top 13 teams in the SEC. Oh, this was Clay Travis that tweeted this. And then he goes on to say, I have zero idea how UTAD Phil Fulmer signed off on this. Um, There was nothing for him to sign off on. God, that guy. The only thing that Phil Fulmer could say is, thank you, may I have another. On this particular issue. Hey, Dad, for Mississippi State, yeah, or take yeah, it. I mean, I mean, it's you, you. You look at it, and your first thought is one and one, right? You, you, you know, I mean, State is going to be an underdog probably to everybody in the East except for Vandy, Mizzou, and South Carolina. You know, they were going to be an underdog if they played Tennessee, which was what I predicted earlier. So, you know, not a huge deal. And and if you're playing games with no fans. Which I don't know if it depends on what you know. It depends on when the game is scheduled, right? If they get late, they play Georgia later in the season. There could be some fans there, but there might not be any to start if you get them early in the year. Is it really yeah. that big a deal to be on the road? So we made our predictions earlier. 
Michael Borky for Ole Miss predicted Tennessee and Missouri for Ole Miss. He was 0-2. And uh, he picked South Carolina and Georgia for Mississippi State, so he went 1-1 one one there. Uh, Brian Haydad pre- uh, predicted Missouri and South Carolina for Ole Miss. 1-1 one one there. Huh? They get South Carolina. He picked South Carolina and Tennessee for Mississippi State. 0-2 oh there. Uh, for Ole Miss, I picked Tennessee and Kentucky, so 1-1 one and one there. And for Mississippi State, I picked Florida and Vanderbilt, so 1-1 one and one there. And that adds up to a grand total of nothing, by the way. But we did have some fun with that earlier. What do they want from us? Just kind of study it on this thing. So Florida goes to Texas A&M and hosts Arkansas. Probably 2-0, but that's a tough road game at A&M. Georgia looks at what was added to their schedule, and they say that's two wins. Kentucky looks at going to Alabama and hosting Ole Miss. I mean, if we're just being honest, Kentucky's looking at that as 1-1. Missouri knows they just lost two games, LSU and Alabama. Did Missouri, I mean, we, we were saying a second ago that Arkansas got the roughest draw in this, Georgia and Florida. I think the argument is there to be made that Missouri actually got a tougher draw by going to LSU and hosting Alabama. I mean, Missouri is the big loser in the East, and Arkansas is the big loser in the West. Well, Missouri went from a team, that I don't know, I don't know their non-conference schedule off the top of my head, but that they could have gone to a bowl game. In a, in a normal year, right? They probably could have squeezed out six and six. Now you're looking at, you know, two and eight or something like that. Yeah, Missouri's non conference games this year in a, in a different world were Central Arkansas, Eastern Michigan, BYU, and Louisiana Lafayette. So, I mean, th- those aren't all gimmies from Missouri, but you could have, you know, if, if you were three and one, Maybe I mean, BYU is the only five. non-gimme. ULL could beat Missouri. No. I could. No. We've seen the results when ULLs played an SEC team in recent years. They only lost to State by 10 last year, and they were in the game in the fourth quarter. They, they could they, um, That game wasn't a gimme. That wasn't just show up and win. South Carolina picks up Ole Miss and Auburn. Could have been worse for them. Tennessee picks up Auburn and Texas A&M. We talked about that a second ago. That's in addition to the fact that they already play Alabama from the West and who's the other? Oh, Arkansas. Vanderbilt gets Mississippi State and LSU. Probably didn't matter who Vanderbilt added, but that's two losses for them. When does Missouri play these games, too? The weather could make a difference. Those 50-degree November nights in Columbia Huge make a real difference. difference. It was chilly in Columbia last year when Ole Miss went. It wasn't unbearable, though. It's more stock Mississippi. There today, the streets are
PGA Championship. How Tong Lee still standing in the lead at eight under par after carding a 65 today on the heels of yesterday's 67. Jason Day at seven under. He is minus two at the turn today. So really playing good golf. Sander Shoffley has gotten it to minus six. Two under on his round. Tommy Fleetwood shot a six under 64 after being even par after his first 18 holes. He is at six under. So that's uh, top of your leaderboard. Cameron Champ went low today. Paul Casey, Brendan Todd, Daniel Berger, Brooks Kepka all at five under par. Tony Finau has gotten it to four under par. Got a big group there at four under. Bunch of red numbers. Uh, let's see, in the golf tournament, you've got uh, 49 players under par or better, and the current projected cut line is plus one. So anybody outside of uh, plus one, as it stands right now, looks like uh, they will be headed home for the weekend. So we just walked through the uh, Eastern Division schedules. Borky, you've got the uh, uh, S&P numbers? Yeah, so... (laughs) It, only uh, for Arkansas and Vanderbilt. So here's just a stat of the day for you. Arkansas currently is an underdog of at least eight points in every game on their schedule. Vanderbilt is an underdog, according to the S&P Plus, of at least 13 points in every game. There is, according to the S&P again, a 10% chance that both of them go 0-10. I feel like it's a lot higher than 10%. I was going to say, I hear what the numbers say. I'm sure there is an algorithm and a statistical model that backs that up, but the the eye test tells me it's closer to 50-50, I would say. What's more likely? They both go 0-10, or combined, they have one win. I'd say it's like 50-50. Now, if you tell me they're going to combine for two wins... They're both going to get a win, or one of them gets two. I would say it's far, far more likely they go zero and ten. Each go zero and ten. Vanderbilt snuck out one last year against South Carolina. I forgot about that. Yeah. Remember, uh, Derek Mason told us that he was the right man for this for job, job at the right time. Built for it. He's built for that job. Fiery post-game interview with um, Don Davenport, I believe it was. Ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. If you want to be part of the conversation, we'd love to hear for you. Want double the data for the same dang price? Now all prepaid by Ceasefire plans get double the high-speed data through the end of the year. No bull. Just better wireless. Learn more at cspire.com slash prepaid. Um, hey, guys, Keeneland Racing Meet is October 2nd through the 24th, and they host the Breeders' Cup on Friday, November 6th, and Saturday, November 7th. That's kind of a big weekend. Will there be fans in the stands for the Breeders' Cup in Lexington? I don't know. Would Richard be able to afford a ticket? Probably not. 
I'm about to win some money here. How so? Mike in Oxford says one of them will beat Mississippi State. Name name the stakes. Name them. One of either Vanderbilt or Arkansas will beat Mississippi State? Yep. Let's go, Mike. And I'm not doing silly steak dinners. and Money. Cash. Cold. Silly steak dinners? Well... You still owe me one. You don't have to be invited to the next ones, then. Hey, I'm still owed a couple, I think. But we're we're betting for money. Hmm. I'll pick it up and I'll pick it up whenever the egg bowl is. Alabama gets Missouri and Kentucky. In addition to already having from the East Tennessee and Georgia. When you talk about balance, you're playing two of the top three teams in the East, right? So what you're saying, that sort of balances that out to play two of the lower teams in the East. And Kentucky's well, and, and, not a bad team. So, I, mean, I mean, Kentucky is, In fairness, know, there's some balance half. to that. I, I agree. There's some balance to that, I, I think. So, so Alabama, from the East, gets Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Missouri. I don't have a big problem with that at all. Arkansas's Eastern Division opponents this year are Tennessee, Missouri. I had to think for a second and remember that Missouri is in the East. Yeah. And then Georgia and Florida. Only in football are they in the East, Not, not anywhere else in the world. Auburn's previously scheduled Eastern Division opponents, Georgia, who is their permanent, and Kentucky. So Auburn has Georgia, Kentucky, South Carolina, and Tennessee. LSU is, I mean, it's unbelievable. (laughs) Is it unbelievable? LSU plays Florida because Florida is their permanent. They get South Carolina, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. They got five, six, seven in the East last year. Yes, that that's a little unbelievable. I'm not saying they should have had to play Georgia, but Tennessee or, or, or Kentucky would have been nice. This just doesn't surprise me. I said, what, what was it, Monday or Tuesday when I said this? I mean, I was partially being tongue-in-cheek, but I told you this was coming. Ole Miss gets... Vanderbilt, which was already on the schedule. Florida, which is one or two in the East. Kentucky, which is probably, what, three or four in the East. And South Carolina, that's probably four or five in the East. The best draw out of the whole bunch. Well, aside from uh, the aforementioned Alabama, Georgia, and LSU. But uh, for the teams that the league office is not actively helping, apparently, uh, Ole Miss uh, absolutely got the best draw. Mississippi State, we already knew that they were playing from the East, Missouri, and uh, Kentucky. Kentucky is their permanent. They add Georgia and Vanderbilt. That, I don't that think that's bad for Mississippi State. I mean, Georgia obviously at the top end, so you get the worst team out of the East in Vanderbilt. And the best team. And the best team out of the East. And then Missouri, who's, you know, lower yeah. half, and Missouri or uh, Kentucky, who's middle of the pack. Texas A&M got no favors in this. So Texas A&M's Eastern Division opponents this year 
already were South Carolina and Vanderbilt. And it got balanced out with a road trip to Tennessee and Florida. Remember when we were all like, oh, their, their schedule is so easy. They'll easily win nine games because they replaced Georgia with Vanderbilt and they replaced Clemson with Colorado. And now look at this. It's the same thing with Missouri. It's like, gosh, Texas A&M is their four-loss team probably happening again. A four-loss team at Texas A&M would make them six and four this year, assuming we play them all. Yeah. So they lose a win against Abilene Christian. They lose a win against North Texas. They lose a win against Colorado. They lose a win against Fresno State. Do they go one and one in those two games against Tennessee and Florida? Maybe. Has Sam Pittman started drinking yet, by the way? Like today. I I, I don't know if he is a drinker or not, but I mean, like, did he just say, I don't know what else I had planned for today, but it's all done. I'm just going to. You know when Hunter Juracek released that statement, the second he hit send, he put his feet up in his office, poured a very expensive glass of bourbon, and is just going to sit there with it for a while. No screens, turned off his phone, no music, just... Sit with he, you don't think he's checking the replies to that tweet no, right now? No, no, he's just he, t- he turned the replies off. He's like, I'm not, I'm not dealing with that. I'm going, I'm going home. I'm gonna put my feet up. I'm gonna drink a, a, a little bourbon drink. It may be like the whole uh, tub thumping uh, menu there. He may have a bourbon drink, a vodka drink, a cider drink, <laughs> all of them. <laughs> Jason and Flagstaff says, I wouldn't be surprised if both Vandy and Pig U. Beat State this year. Not sure how anyone can put any faith in Mississippi State, especially when putting Arkansas on 0 for watch. What's the difference? State has been to 10 straight bowl games. What is happening here? Again, Jason, I will be happy to take your money as well. Name the price. And I think Haydad made it clear that he doesn't want to bet State dinners and he has no interest in doing charity donations. Nah, we're betting money. Brian and Laurel says, this all-SEC schedule is exciting. Wish we could do this every year. Hashtag no cupcakes this year. Sometimes around here, we kind of need them. Yeah. Oh, I agree, but it is kind of exciting. Oh, for sure. That's a one-off. It's exciting. Sports Talk Mississippi will come. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.